Good day and welcome to the ESPN Monday Night Football Media Call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the call over to Bill Hoffheimer. Please go ahead. Thank you, Ruth. Uh, good afternoon and welcome to our Monday Night Football Kickoff Conference Call. Today we're joined by ESPN Sean McDonough, John Gruden, and Lisa Salters, as well as Monday Night Football producer Jay Rothman. This group will call Monday Night Football's 48th season and the 12th on ESPN beginning September 11th when the New Orleans Saints take on the Minnesota Vikings at 6.55 Eastern. That game will be part of our traditional season opening doubleheader with the Los Angeles Chargers playing the Denver Broncos at 10.15. Beth Moens and Rex Ryan will call that game. We'll open up the call for media questions shortly. First, I'll give Jay and our Monday Night Football team the opportunity to share some brief opening remarks. Go ahead, Jay. Good afternoon, everybody. Um... I guess I would start by saying we're excited about year two with Sean, John, and Lisa. I think it's always a transition in year one when change occurs, as was the case last year, Sean coming off of seven years with Chris Spielman in college football and John with Mike Tirico and working in our gang. And, you know, there are always adjustments that are made in that first year in terms of rhythm, timing, cadence, understanding each other. Uh, you know, we feel really good uh, as the season went on. And we've spent a lot of time together in the off season. A lot of social time, a lot of hard work, getting better, where to improve, and improve the overall presentation of Monday Night Football. And I am, uh, I'm proud of the team that we have. Uh, I think Sean and John and Lisa are going to have an, a terrific year. So we're fired up about that and we're ready to get going. Um, we're excited about the schedule. Uh, we have more division games this year, which we're quite pleased with, nine division games. Um, we open in Minnesota. We have the return of Adrian Peterson to Minnesota as a saint. Um, also, the Vikings are putting in Randy Moss into the ring of honor at halftime of that game. Um, Bill mentioned the uh, L.A. Chargers in Denver, two new coaching staffs, and the debut of Beth and Rex. And uh, we've been working hard with Beth and Rex in the offseason, uh, both rehearsals at ESPN and during our preseason games to get them in the best possible shape. They've been working really hard, and I think they're going to be terrific. Um, some other highlights from the schedule. Week two, we're in New York. Uh, it's the first normal start time for Monday Night Football, or 8.30 Eastern time. The Giants will be celebrating their 10-year anniversary of their Super Bowl win over the Patriots. That game's against Detroit. We're in great venues this year, Kansas City twice, Lambeau, Seattle, places we always get excited about. Um, we are more than excited December 18th to be in Tampa Bay when the Bucks have announced that John Gruden will be going into the ring of honor there. So we are um, proud and excited to honor our colleague uh, that night. I know that will be a special night for John and his family and certainly for uh, for us. Um, and then Christmas night, we have the Raiders in Philly, another game we're looking forward to, our only Raiders appearance, and um, so we're fired up about that. Um, just one quick note to share on pace of play. Uh, everybody has read and has watched through the preseason the new commercial format that the league has worked hard on with the broadcast partners and pace of play. I think that's a big win for everybody. I think it's a big deal. It's a great improvement for fans at home. It's a great improvement for fans in the stands, and it's a great improvement for the players on the field. Um, more action, less interruption. I think that's a big win for all of us. Um, and then lastly, for me, really just on the technology front, you know, as we all push to innovate, and while this is not, not new, we've spent a lot of time with the NFL 
and their next-gen technology, and everybody knows that each of the NFL players for the last three years has worn chips in their pads. There's chips in the footballs this year. Um, we worked really hard on mining what we think is some interesting data that will lead to interesting storytelling uh, and documentation throughout the season, many of which really hasn't been on the air thus far. And we've spent a lot of time with them, um, including a uh, an all-day session we had last week with their team and our team in Tampa with Coach Gruden on the board. I'm actually out in L.A. now to meet with the uh, the team as well at the NFL Network and to grind through that. But we think there's some really interesting data that we can mine throughout the season that will be uh, of use to fans, uh, timely and relevant. So we're excited to dig into that. Um, and with that, uh, Bill, I'll turn it back over to you. Thank you, Jay. Thanks, Jay. Uh, we'll go to Sean and uh, work and work work right through the team. All right. Thank you, Bill. And uh, I would just echo what Jay said. Really excited about the start of the season. Excited about some of the changes that Jay just talked about, and in particular, very excited about our schedule. I spoke with Jay this morning and would echo what he just said about this being year two. You know, last year for me it was a transition year and everything was new and I felt as the season went along a much higher level of comfort really in every way and that has transitioned into our two exhibition games this year. You know, I didn't really know John and Lisa much at all prior to last year and uh, the two of them have become really dear friends and uh, looking forward to spending time with them and, as Jay said, uh, working together to get better. And I think we will. I'm proud of what we did last year, but I think in any walk of life, no matter what it is that we do, we can all get better, and that's been our goal. And having said all that, I will hand it off to Coach Gruden. John? Yeah, good morning. Yeah, just uh, for afternoon, I just uh... – very excited for football season and uh, really confident that our off-season preparation will, will help us be, be better this season and really enjoy working with Sean and Lisa and Jay Rothman and Chip Dean do a great job preparing the team. So look forward to seeing all you guys on the road this year at some point. And uh, with that, here's Lisa Salters. Hi, uh, I just want to echo what the guys have said. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty great to be able to come to work and, and work with guys like Jay and Chip and Sean and John. Uh, so it is really my privilege to be doing this uh, year six for me. Uh, the couple of preseason games that we did, just a reminder, when you see your friends and your colleagues who you haven't seen for a long time, it's just great to be back and can't wait to start doing football again. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, everybody. We'll um, go into media questions. Just a quick reminder, we'll have a full transcript of the call uh, later today along with a audio replay. Um, since we're going to kick off the season in Minnesota, we'll start with uh, Vikings reporter Courtney Cronin, followed by Gary Klein at the L.A. Times. Go ahead, Courtney. Hey, everybody. Coach, I had a question just about, obviously, the huge storyline there with Adrian's return. How do you anticipate you know, having seen a lot of these before with Brett Favre returning, uh, you know, to Green Bay when he was with Minnesota, Peyton Manning going, with, you know, Denver to Indy, Randy Moss, list goes on and on. Given the way that Adrian left and kind of that, you know, they didn't pick up the, the his contract option, how do you think he'll be received and just that narrative of this game is such a huge storyline? Well, I think there's going to be a lot of drama surrounding this, no question about it. It'll be an emotional night, not only for the fans, 
but for Adrian Peterson. That, I remember talking to Brett Favre about that. He said he felt sick in his hotel room the day of the game. He was just uh, distraught with his, his emotions uh, of playing against his former team. And I'm sure Adrian's going to have a lot of those same, same emotions. Going to the stadium as a visitor, uh, being booed by the fans, not cheered, and every carry, every snap will be scrutinized. And he's not going to be protected against this Viking defense. Uh, having watched the Vikings in training camp over the years, they weren't allowed to touch Adrian Peterson. He's fair game in this one, so it'll be fun to watch Linval Joseph and Kendricks and Harrison Smith go after their former teammate because it's going to be an intense atmosphere on opening night. And obviously with with the 2009 NFC Championship game not that long ago, um, are you? I mean, are you, do you, is that one of the first things that comes to mind when you think about just these two teams and obviously, you know, the way that that game played out and you mentioned Brett Favre and all that? You know, a little bit. No, I'm not as that – I'm not that deep into this just because Peterson plays a different position than Favre. I don't think he's going to have the impact on the Saints offense the way Brett Favre impacted the Vikings offense. Uh, I'm not even sure how New Orleans is going to use Adrian Peterson. The most impressive back I saw in New Orleans this offseason or preseason was a rookie out of Tennessee. And I know Ingram's going to get his touches, and, and I'm, I'm anxious to see what role uh, Sean Payton uses Adrian Peterson in. Uh, they've never really been known for their running game in the last seven or eight years. So it'll be a huge transition. It'll be very exciting, but there's a lot of unknown heading into the opener. Okay, we'll go to uh, Gary Klein at the LA Times, followed by Neil Best at Newsday. Go ahead, Gary. Uh, hey, John. Um, I wanted to, to ask you, why should Rams fans have confidence that Sean McVay has the ability to command a room in crunch time? And was there any indication when you were with uh, Sean, when he was on your staff, any any stories you remember that kind of gave you an indication that, this is he would be capable of doing that. Well, yeah, I mean this 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 young man comes from great stock. Number one, his dad was the the founder, really, in, in a lot of ways, of the Forty ers dynasty. John McVay, the general manager, he's been brought up in a football family. He's been focused on the process the entire time. He's great dealing with players. I'm sure you found he's he's really good to deal with uh, in the media. Also, he's charismatic. He's sharp. And uh, I, I don't think he's going to buckle every time they face adversity. I think this is a difficult job right now. Uh, I don't think the Rams are a team that's going to contend for the Super Bowl. They have to be content on improving, and it starts with their young quarterback. And I think he's a guy that will bring energy. Uh, he'll bring some enthusiasm and intelligence to the building every day. And uh, I like the coaching staff that he's assembled. That just goes to show you people weren't afraid of joining uh, his staff, they had confidence that they wouldn't have signed up. And I'm talking about guys like Wade Phillips, who's one of the best in football. So uh, you get what you deserve. He's got to earn people's respect, the fans, the players, the media. But uh, I, I like to hire a lot, and uh, I expect him to show a lot of improvement with his team throughout the course of the season. Is is that a hurdle or, you know, uh, a challenge that you faced when you first became a head coach, kind of those moments where, you know, it could go one way or the other and you really have to keep your team's attention? Yeah, and you got to keep your own 
confident level up because, you know, your, your your parents don't call you and give you a hug every time you get your butt kicked. My opening game in Oakland, we got beat 28-6, to 6, I think, in Arrowhead, and we had to fly five hours back to Oakland that night, and I had to sit next to Al Davis. I didn't think we were going to make the first down the whole year. So I thought about quitting when I got off the plane. It takes a lot of mental toughness, a lot of mental toughness, uh, and, and some confidence in yourself. To, to be a head coach in this league no matter what age you are. But he will be tested. Uh, I do like the fact that he has a lot of real good friends and family, and he's been through this this process before, so he knows what he's up against. Thanks very much. All right, we'll, get, we'll go to Neil at Newsday, followed by Larry Holder at NOLA.com. Uh, for John, speaking of it being 10 years since the Giants' uh, first Super Bowl, do, do you think that at 36 there's a – window that they have to get this done again before it's too late for Eli, uh, uh, that this might be a time that they can add a third ring during before he's done? I do. I think uh, especially after just seeing that team play live, um, they have a defense that can win. They certainly have the receiving core. I asked questions about the offensive line, but I don't think they have the heir apparent ready to play in New York at the quarterback position based on what I saw in the preseason. I don't even know who they're going to use as their backup. Uh, and Eli is 36, but we, we got a guy down the street in New England playing into his 40s. So it, it's got to happen certainly in the next couple of years. But um, they look like a legitimate contender to me because they can play defense, they have firepower at the skill positions, and they have a quarterback that, has the intelligence and the playmaking to, to prove to get it done. Okay. Thank you. We'll go, we'll go to Larry at NOLA.com, followed by Richard Deitch at Sports Illustrated. Go ahead, Larry. Hey, John. Uh, Sean Payton, 7-9 uh, and nine the past three seasons. Uh, Drew Brees, he is going in in the final year of his contract. You mentioned Tom Brady uh, and Drew Brees. It will be 39 in January. Uh, how critical of a season is this for both players, uh, given uh, the lack of success overall as a team the past three years? Well, I think it's critical. There's no question. And I know Sean from way back. I'm sure he's, he puts a lot of um, pressure on himself. He's not he's not the happiest guy in the world being seven and nine three years in a row either. But I do like the fact that I think they're going back a little bit in time here with their offense. It looks to me like they're going to be more committed to slamming the ball, handing it off, much like they did when they won the Super Bowl. They had Reggie Bush, they had Pierre Thomas, but they had a hammer in Mike Bell. And Mike Bell closed out games. He set up a lot of play-action passes, and he helped their defense because they had more time of possession. And after watching this defense in the preseason, they have a lot of new faces. And they are playing with great effort. I know it's just the preseason, but they look much better on that side of the ball. And uh, if I was in a, if I was a gambler, uh, I would not gamble against Drew Brees and Sean Payton. They've been too good together for too long. If they can get this defense going and address their running game with the addition of Peterson and Ramchek, a blocking left tackle, who knows? But it'll be fun to watch. Okay, we'll go to Richard, followed by Tom Hofarth at the L.A. Daily News. Go ahead, Richard. Thanks. Uh, this question is for Jay Rothman. Um, Jay, as you know, the likelihood for the opening week of the regular season, um, anthem protests will be a story. Can you um, can you share your philosophy right now in terms of how much you want to show the sidelines for the national anthem and 
what you would have in place specifically with Lisa on the sidelines should that become a story in your game? Yep. So I think the, the right answer is, Richard, that if it occurs, we do have a, a responsibility to show it. However, in Minnesota, for example, you know, it is the anniversary of 9-11. We've been working with the league and with the Vikings to make the timings work um, to be able to show the national anthem. I know the Vikings have spent a large amount of money um, to create a, uh, a card trick, if you will, in the stadium that says, you know, we, we will never forget. So, and, you know, if you go back to 9-11 and think about it, 3,000 people died, 6,000 people were injured, hundreds of, hundreds of rescue workers were lost, and it was the, uh, you know, the greatest terror, terrorist attack on our country. So, you know, we feel good about showing it. Should there, should there be protests during that? I do think we have a responsibility to show it. I would like to, um, I would hope to get from the Vikings and or from players or coaches as to the why. You know, we spent, uh, as, as I'm sure other network partners did last season when all of this uh, uh, started, you know, as part of our routine questioning of coaches and players, uh, especially the coaches, was, you know, what have you told your players about um, the national anthem? Uh, what is your response to their protesting? trying to find out from players if they are going to hold any protest and to why. You know, I think that's a big thing. So, you know, we'll do our due diligence. We're still evaluating how to cover these situations. You know, I, I question uh, just being fully transparent. When, when is there viewer, viewer fatigue and for how many causes? And, uh, and I do understand, you know, the right to protest. Um, and I think if the situation warrants as we go on, you know, if these events uh, occur, we either show them live or playback and hopefully work hard, as I said, to get the reasoning as to the why. So, you know, I guess I would ask you, just again, being fully transparent, Richard, what, what, what is your opinion and, and as, a, as a football fan and, and media member, you know, when you're watching games, what do, what do you think is the right approach? Well, first, I love the fact that I'm getting to answer a call on an ESPN conference call. It's a first, so thank you for that. Probably. Uh, hey, listen, we spend a lot of time, believe me, we spend a lot of time in conversation about this. Well, Jay, I would just say this, just to sort of obviously not take up other reporters' times. Um, being at CBS today and talking to your equivalents there, as well as their um, president, I, I think you are on the right track. I, I think they have said, and I think it's the right call to you cover it as a news event if it happens you try to figure out the why of that news event, um, and then you move on from that. But there's no doubt that there's going to be a segment of the audience who who you have to respect does not want you to necessarily go down that road too far. So I appreciate your answer, and, um, and it does track it, at least uh, with what another network said today on the same subject. No, good. Good talk to you. Thanks, Richard. Uh, we'll go to Tom Hofarth at the LA Daily News, followed by Rick Mace at the Washington Post. Thanks. I had a question for Jay, but i also like others to respond as well. Um, and it has to do with Beth doing the game, the Charger Bronco game. So when you make a change like this, you have someone like Beth in there. There's, first of all, there's bound to be some social media backlash and all that sort of strange reaction and resistance before finally acceptance happens. Do you take any of that into account? Uh, and can you sort of explain your reasoning or dynamics or, you know, what's, if you're trying to make some sort of statement in choosing Beth to make this leap, this high profile stage? No, uh, I'll go first. There was no statement there. She is a total pro. I have enjoyed every step of the way working with her. You know, she and Rex did a, 
a spring game at Florida State that we worked on. Uh, I had separate meetings with Rex in Nashville and with Beth leading into this thing. They came to ESPN. We did a rehearsal of our playoff game last year. She is, and I really got to know Beth because other than her observing a production meeting with her Syracuse buddy Mike Tirico a few years ago, I haven't had the opportunity to really meet her or work with her. She is so buttoned up. She is a total pro. She's rock solid. She's a great coach. She's a great fan of the game. She's got, I can go on and on, man. Her knowledge is deep, and she loves it, and she's really fun to be around. You know, they both were in Jacksonville as part of our meetings down there. We did a rehearsal game there. They came to Cleveland. We did a rehearsal game there. Even going back to our time in Bristol as we went through each segment and paused the tape, and I went into the voiceover booth and we talked. And as much as I was coaching and helping Rex, she was every part of that. You know, she's a, she's, she's a treat to be around. I'm really excited for her. I'm excited for the opportunity she has. And, um, you know, as I told her when I said goodbye to her at the airport in Cleveland, um, because I won't see her until then, she just needs to, she just needs to be herself and do her thing and she's going to be just fine. And I think fans are going to really enjoy her call of the game. She's got a great feel. And she's a total pro. Sean, you want to add anything? Yeah, I would. I think she's terrific. I I don't think it's in any way a gimmick. I think she's earned it on the merits. I think within our profession, within the play-by-play people group, she is widely regarded as one of the best in our business, male or female. And I just told her when I saw her in Cleveland uh, last week, just don't do too good a job. (laughs) it's, I'd like to do this for more than two years, but uh, uh, she's excellent, and uh, I know she's really excited about it, and I think she'll be terrific. Thanks, Sean. Can I go? Did, uh, Tom, did you have a follow-up? Yeah, just a quick one with Jay. In a strange way, do you feel like you have to over-defend this choice in some way? You were you were speaking very emphatic and and not defensive, but almost like, you sort of need to get it out, really, why you're making the decision. No, hell no. Uh, we're, we're totally pleased with this. She's terrific. She's going to do a great job. I'm just really psyched for her. I'm really psyched for her. I'm psyched for the opportunity she has, and uh, I think it's awesome. So, no, I don't feel that way at all. I'm just a fired-up guy. You don't know me well, but I'm just a pretty fired up guy. <laughs> Did Lisa have any response? Lisa, you want to? Yeah, I I, uh, I just think I'm kind of chuckling that we're, we're even asking about I mean, women have, have called uh, called games before. Um, Beth is great at what she does. Uh, I'm just really happy for her. The last thing I said to her in Cleveland was crush it like I know you're going to. Um, it's just kind of it, – it's a little amusing to me that there is even a question about it. But uh, she, you'll see. Wait till September 11th. You'll see why why it was unnecessary to even ask the question. She's great. Great. I know. And I, I think it just it just to follow up to Lisa. Just that I, the only thing I'd go back to is, you know, it remi- of the rehearsal that we did at ESPN of our playoff game, and sitting in the control room as we were playing down the tape, I did not, honest for one second, think male versus female, male or female. It was a incredibly solid play-by-play person doing the game with Rex Ryan. And that's how I felt during it. So, uh, you know, I echo what Lisa says, too. Great. Thanks so much. Okay, we'll go to uh, Rick Mace at the Washington Post, followed by Barry Jackson at the Miami Herald. 
Yeah, my question is for John. Um, we've got quarterbacks like Brady and Rogers talking more and more about playing in their 40s. How long can you see a guy like Rogers specifically being able to play at such a high level before we see him kind of stick on? I'm sorry, I didn't quite understand uh, your question. I heard about the quarterbacks playing into their 40s, but the second part of it? I'm in a train. Um, how long can you see a guy like Aaron Rodgers specifically being able to play at such a high level before we see any kind of decline? I have no idea. I, uh, I, I saw Tom Brady play live last year against the Baltimore Ravens, and uh, I was stunned by the way the man moved around in the pocket. You know, what happens is these guys' mental quickness is so much faster than anybody at the position. They see defenses. They know what the coverage is. They know what the matches are. They know where to go with the football. Uh, their mental quickness, the way they play the game, is, is unprecedented from anything I've seen. Uh, they're like a coach on the field. They've taken great care of themselves. If you know Rodgers and Brady, they watch every drop that they put in their body. They're highly conditioned. They're not your typical 36, 37, 40-year-old men. Uh, so I I, uh, I commend them. I, I can see them both playing uh, a few more years, that's for sure. Okay, we'll go to Barry in Miami, followed by Chris Palmieri at Bloomberg. Go ahead, Barry. Thanks, Bill. For John, do you think the step from Tannehill to Cutler is a step down at all, and do you view Miami as a wild-card contender? I don't know. I know Cutler has had one year with Adam Gase, and I know statistically he had a, a pretty good season. It wasn't like they won a lot of games. I, I think Cutler has a lot to prove. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons he came back to play. I think he's got a lot to prove to football fans that he can win and win big. And we all know he's got talent. Uh, understanding the system is, is, is a big story, but I think Cutler's number one agenda now is to win. And the Dolphins need them. They certainly need them. They've got a good defense. They've got a great young running back. They have a receiver uh, in Parker that's coming on. Landry's an outstanding player. They have pieces. Uh, I just can't wait to see if Cutler can do all the little things uh, that I think he did not do in Chicago. That goes with taking care of the football, um, you know, avoiding the catastrophic plays. Um, and, and, and finding ways to win. That's that's the one thing I'd love to see Jay Cutler do is find ways to put all the talent uh, to use and be more consistent and, and take Miami back to the playoffs and hopefully deep into the playoffs. I'd like to see that. Thanks, John. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll go to uh, Chris at Bloomberg, followed by Rich Campbell at the Chicago Tribune. Hi, Jay. I was just wondering if you might be able to say, uh, talk about there's a discussion of reducing the ad breaks, uh, in that, you know, for viewers and what that means, uh, for the show. And if I can ask a, a, a second question, just anything else cool you can talk about when having the chip in the football, what that means, uh, for viewers? Yeah, so the reduced breaks is simply the, the NFL has gone to, uh, for all broadcast partners where there will only be four commercial breaks per quarter. At times, there were up to five, six, and if, if uh, networks got behind, seven, including eight. So you'd have situations where there'd be a score, an extra point, uh, a commercial break. And coming back from a break, a kickoff, and another commercial break. The league is avoiding these double-ups, as we refer to them, at all costs. So that, and that's dreadful for everybody. So that's, that's a big win. Um, 
the league claims, which uh, and, and we hope it's all true, that with the um, in, in terms of replay review and official reviews, would that be done in uh, done in New York, and officials no longer going under the hood, being able to look at tablets, that these decisions should come in a minute and a minute a minute fifteen seconds. So you know, in those situations, we'll be staying. We won't we won't be using those as break opportunities. Um, so there'll be just less interruption of play. The breaks will be a tick longer. You know, they'll all be two minutes and 20 seconds in length. And, um, you know, we'll make up our uh, our sponsorship in, in that additional time per break. But, again, less less interruptions, better flow, better for everybody. Um, some different ad innovations that the league is offering partners. Um, and um, But the idea is to stay alive as much as possible and keep the games moving and keep the flow going. So uh, that's a big win for everybody. And in terms of the chips and the balls, we'll see. There's some things we're going to have access to and some things based on the competition committee we won't, but things like release time um, of different quarterbacks. Um, you know, I, again, I'm leading into John as our head coach and play caller of some of the data that we get and things that are of interest to him through his eyes, through his lens, through his world as a play caller and that sort of thing. So, um, we're going to walk before we run, but I do think there's some really, really interesting um, things we're going to get both from the players and from the football, and, uh, you know, we're excited about that. And hopefully, you know, we'll be smart about when that gets placed into the telecast, nothing forced in, but, you know, there are times where I think we'll be able to uh, enhance the moment. Thanks. Thanks, Jay. All right, we'll go to Rich Campbell in Chicago, followed by Scott Pierce at the Salt Lake Tribune. Hi, guys. This is a football question for Coach Gruden. John, I was just curious, what is your philosophy regarding highly drafted quarterbacks, whether to play them right away as rookies or to have them develop on the practice field as a backup and why? Well, unfortunately, I never had a highly drafted rookie. That's one of the reasons (laughs) I'm talking to you today, Rich. Um, You know, I think times are different today. I think when I was coaching and, and when I was when I was coming up as a coach, I think you 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 had so many reps, you had so much time spent with these quarterbacks, um, you could distribute the reps and, and really take a good look at, at a guy um, and bring them along slowly because you had so much time to teach them a vast amount of football. Today, uh, there are no reps. I mean, there are none. There, there are, are no off-season work. It's almost zero compared to what it used to be. And in training camp, you basically have one practice a day. Uh, you can't get one quarterback, two quarterbacks, three quarterbacks ready. So you have to pretty much commit yourself to who the guy is and give that guy all the reps. And I think that's what you're seeing with a lot of the emergence of these rookie quarterbacks. If I was coaching today, I'd probably put the rookie in there right away if I felt he had the aptitude if he had the ability to learn fast uh, and had some thick skin. And, and I'm sure that's what a lot of these coaches are doing. There's a number of I – think, I think Trubisky could end up being the starter by the end of the year. I think there could be a rookie in Houston starting. I think Cleveland's going to start a rookie on opening day. And um, there's just not enough reps to go around, so you got to plug the guy in fast and get him ready. Okay, we'll go to – thanks. We'll go to Scott in uh, Salt Lake followed by uh, Doug – far at Pleasure Report. Go ahead, Scott. It looks like he has left the call. 
Okay. Uh, we'll go to Doug with Bleacher Report, followed by Ravens reporter Jameson Hensley after that. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks. This question is for Coach Gruden. Coach, you obviously are fairly familiar with the coaching staff in D.C. and with Kirk Cousins losing his top vertical threat and possession receiver and Sean McVay leaving for Los Angeles. I mean, you watched Cousins in the preseason. What is your sense of how things have changed for him, and how will that coaching staff, in your mind, overcome those losses and, and hopefully for them bring Cousins back to the season he had last year or something close to it? I think Cousins got to play better than he played last year, uh, personally. You know, I know he had good stats, but, you know, I, I watched the last game against New York. He's got to play better, uh, and they got to play better around him, there's no question. But, uh, listen, welcome to the club. I'm, I'm watching Drew Brees getting ready for our opening game. Uh, I have no idea what happened to Armstead at left tackle. He's hurt. They're using their third-string center because their starter's on PUP. Brandon Cook's cat traded. They got rid of Jimmy Graham. I have no idea how he handles it, but that's part of the position. You're going to lose coaches. You're going to lose personnel. And when you have a $20 million contract, that comes with the territory. So he didn't play very good when I watched him against Green Bay. He didn't play very good uh, against uh, Cincinnati. Not to the standards that I have for him, nor that he has for himself. And I bet if you talk to Cousins, he'd tell you the same thing. But uh, he's going to have to grit his teeth and fight through some tough moments because he's using the rookie center out of Wyoming. I didn't think he expected that either. But uh, that comes with the territory. He's not alone. There's a lot of quarterbacks going through the same thing right now. When it comes to accuracy, anticipation, all the things that make the great quarterbacks great, do you think he has the potential to be one of those team elevators, or is he always going to need a lot of stuff around him? I think he's got potential to do a lot of great things. I, I think he's what he's done – is, is is amazing to me. Now, coming in there, backing up Robert Griffin, learning the offense that they ran, the, the run-oriented schemes that they ran with Griffin, uh, hanging in there, waiting for his turn. He failed initially. Uh, I know Jay, the, I know the coach down there pretty good. He stayed confident in Cousins, gave him another opportunity, and he's proven he can make all the throws. Uh, the only thing he's got to prove is that he can handle the, this adversity and, and – uh, you know, get this team into the postseason, find a way to win uh, the big games uh, down the stretch late in the year. Thanks. Okay, we'll go to we'll go to Jameson, followed by Paul Domowich in Philadelphia. Go ahead, Jameson. Okay. Uh, yeah, this question is for John Gruden. What are the challenges uh, you feel facing Joe Flacco now that it looks like he'll only return to practice just one week uh, before the start of the regular season? Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to get in a room with Flacco and Cam Newton and Andrew Luck and ask them how they can do this. I mean, this is be this will be a serious challenge for three of the best quarterbacks in football. Uh, no practices, timing, uh, just just rhythm, just playing quarterback, you know, getting looks at speed. You need the looks at speed. I disagree with Allen Iverson. I think practice is really important when you got eleven guys that you got to manage. And the way that Flacco operates, uh, they've got a different center in there. Well, fortunately, they've got the same coordinator two years in a row. That's a novelty uh, in Baltimore. But uh, he's going to have to get out there and, and not only show that his arm is healthy, but he's got to get himself back in, I think, to football shape and, and really work through the timing with this young receiving core. And I'm sure Cam Newton's fighting the same thing, and Andrew Luck will indeed fight the same thing when he comes back. Uh, they've lost a lot of valuable time. 
the snap count, the pre-snap uh, information gathering, the hand signals, all the things that these guys do that no one really uh, studies. Um, I-, I wish those three guys well. The NFL needs them, certainly. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll go to Paul, followed by Vikings reporter Lindsey Young. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, John, you had mentioned that you had never had a highly drafted quarterback. Uh, you ended up winning a Super Bowl with a guy who was drafted in a round that doesn't even exist anymore. Um, but you look around the league today, you're seeing a lot of teams take big risks to position themselves for potential franchise quarterbacks. The Rams and the Eagles last year with Goff and Wentz, uh, Kansas City with Mahomes, even the Bills seem to be uh, – building up a stockpile of draft picks so they can get one of those quarterbacks next year. What are your thoughts when you see the emphasis now on on going after a franchise quarterback? Well, I think it's pretty easy to see the teams that sustain winning. They have one. They have a guy that can make the throws, the guy that can dominate at the line of scrimmage, a guy that doesn't waste plays. These guys are coaches on the field. They have football aptitude. They have a great arm quickness. They have arm strength, and they just—they just have a way of making the other players better. They make the defense better because the defense—they fight harder, knowing if we just get this guy the ball back, we got a chance. The offensive line plays better because they don't want this man hit. Uh, the meetings are better. The practices are better. Life is better when you have a, a, a blue chip or playing quarterback in the NFL. And you even got a chance to sell some luxury boxes and, and jerseys, too. So, man, I'm envious of some of these guys that uh, have been able to coach uh, a quarterback like Roethlisberger for that many years or Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. You know, that's that's an envious, envious position for those guys. Okay, we'll go to Lindsay, followed by Jerry McDonald at the Oakland Trib. Go ahead, Lindsay. This question is for John. John, just wondering when you're looking at – Drew Brees and Sam Bradford, you know, the league's top quarterbacks in completion percentage. What do you see in those two guys that just make them so effective in that area? Well, Brees, first of all, is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is uh, hes as good a quarterback as you'll ever get a chance to watch play. He's, he's a great athlete. Nobody understands uh, what a phenomenal athlete he is. He could probably win the short shuttle uh, at the Combine if you put all the quarterbacks there. He has incredible body quickness. Uh, he is such a football uh, master. He, he understands defenses. He has great recognition. He can make all the throws. He's a Hall of Famer. There's nothing that man can't do. Uh, Sam Bradford, uh, when I studied Bradford, he should get a medal. He might be one of the toughest guys we got playing. Forget about the 70% completion percentage. He got pummeled last year. Uh, he showed up, had to learn an offense, very short notice. Uh, he won some games for the Vikings. He took a lot of shots, major shots. And I, and I commend him for getting up and, and keeping the Vikings alive until deep in the season. Uh, I'm hoping the new revamped Viking offensive line, the addition of Dalvin Cook and Murray, can offset the loss of Peterson and help him because uh, – he needs to be, I think, protected better for him to flourish like Drew Brees has. He just hasn't had that. Okay, we'll go to Jerry uh, in Oakland, followed by Mike Triplett, Saints reporter. Go ahead, Jerry. Hey, John, what do you expect to see from Marshawn Lynch this year? And, and to follow up, were you kind of surprised to see 
Do the Raiders have kind of concentrate on offense more than defense this last offseason? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I thought Murray was a good back. He had a lot of touchdowns. I thought he was a good inside runner. I really like the two young backs that they have. I thought they had a nice backfield uh, last year. I have no idea what, what uh, Marshawn can give them. It's, it's not common for players to hold out for a year and come back and have success. I don't have that official stat in front of me, but um, I don't think guys normally hold out a football for a year, come back, and, and, and play at the same high level. Uh, I'm anxious to see Lynch because he certainly is a talented guy. But the questions on in Oakland, to me, aren't on offense, no matter who carries it. Uh, big questions are on defense, and they have, have not looked extremely well uh, in the preseason either. Okay, we'll go to Mike. Oh, thank you. We'll we'll go to Mike, followed by Brandon Costa, Sports Video Group. Go ahead, Mike. Thanks for doing this, everyone. Uh, John, back to uh, Adrian Peterson's return to Minnesota. I'm curious for your perspective as a coach and a game planner and, and play caller. I'm sure there's going to be a tendency for Sean Payton to want to get Adrian Peterson his touches, his touchdowns maybe in that game, and I'm sure that's expected. How do you handle that kind of thing in games like this and maybe games where someone's going for a milestone and things like that? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. I, I know Sean certainly would, 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 number one, like to get Adrian Peters in the ball and have him run for over 100 yards and score some touchdowns in his return. But he'd probably like a new car, too. I mean, you can't have it what you want. You, 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 it doesn't work like that. This is not um, a game that you can just go out and, Say hey, let's let's get it for Adrian. They got to get Kamara the ball because he is a great receiving back. He's dynamic in the open field. They got to win this game. They have to win this football game because they have New England uh, the next week on a short week at home. Uh, this team needs to get off to a fast start. And whether Adrian Peterson is the go-to guy in this game or in Week 11 or Week 13 remains to be seen. But I think Sean Payton is going to check all those. Uh, things at the door. He's not going to worry about who touches it. He's just going to worry about methodically moving the ball and finding a way to win this game. He's got to fight that urge, but uh, he's not a novice at this. He's dealt with things like this before. John, did you ever have a, a game like that, a milestone game or anything with Jerry Rice or anything like that? Yeah, we uh, we did. We uh, we had Jim Brown come back and play in Tampa, and uh, he got his 100 touchdown pass uh, reception against the Oakland Raiders. Now we lost, I think, 48-7, to so who gives a damn? Thank you. Okay, we'll go, we'll go to uh, Brandon Costa, followed by Alex Silverman and Cable Facts. Go ahead, Brandon. Thank you, Bill. Uh, for Jay, uh, lots of really good insights on the new technology that you were talking about earlier. Anything else uh, production-wise that you're excited about? Any new cameras or graphics replay, anything like that? You know, we have some uh, new virtual graphics, some new dynamic graphics. We're always, uh, you know, we're always looking to add some tweaks and wrinkles here and there. So I am very proud. Our team that uh, designs and creates our graphics and animation, Candley, has won the uh, Emmy for best look over the three straight years. So we're very proud of the presentation and look of Monday Night Football. And that hasn't changed. We're not standing pat. Um and uh, and as I said, the next-gen stuff I think will be really smart and interesting. So, you know, we're staying the course and, um, you know, looking to get better and better each and every week. 
Uh, Jay, quick follow-up on the graphics. Uh, you guys have kind of been experimenting a little bit with kind of dropping the score bug out during live game action. How have you felt about how that looked on screen? You know what? We've had no pushback. You know, we've, we've tried to keep the screen clear uh, of clutter once the ball is snapped. So, you know, we beat ourselves up when we were first starting it. It is annoying to be in and out and in and out all the time. But we really have had no pushback from fans. It's meant to sort of be there when, um, you know, when, when play is not in action and drop when the ball goes dead, as I said, excuse me, when the ball is snapped. And, um, you know, we like keeping the uh, screen as clear as possible during action. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brandon. All right, we'll go to Alex, uh, followed by Jeff Legwald, uh, Broncos reporter. Go ahead, Alex. Uh, thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. Uh, my question is just about uh, ratings and the schedule. Um, you know, a lot of people are watching the ratings this year. How do you feel like this year's slate compares in terms of viewership appeal uh, to last year and um, previous years that you guys have been doing Monday Night Football? You want me to take Jay, that, Bill? If, yeah, go ahead, Jay. That'd be great. I mean, I, I honestly think that uh, the Trump effect last year had a huge impact, I believe, on our ratings and those of others. I really do. We got clobbered uh, the first debate. We had the uh, 10-year reunion of the reopening of the Superdome in New Orleans, which we worked really hard to get that game. And unfortunately, the first debate between Trump and Hillary was the same night, and we got crushed. And uh, I really think just the Trump phenomenon had a huge effect um, throughout the course of last fall during the presidential campaign. Um, and you could look at the uh, network news and the cable news networks, and, and, and it's proof of that. Um, I do believe by having more division games, the league did a, a great job w uh, working with us this past off season. Uh, we've increased our division games from two to nine. I think that matters a ton. Um, and we're really excited about our matchups and marquee teams. So, you know, I think uh, that does matter. And also the scores of games matter. You know, no matter what you say, if that little score bug the gentleman just asked me before, if it's close in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, people are staying. If the games are out of hand, you know, they're leaving. There's just too much out there. So, you know, we hope for close games. We're excited about our matchups, as I said. We're really excited about division games and quarterbacks, I would say, as well. You know, good quarterback matchups, um, uh, we all like that. You know, we all we all root for that. John was mentioning Bradford and Breeze before. We have Stafford and Eli. We have Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson. We have Stafford and Aaron Rodgers. You know, you could go on and on. I think quarterbacks do sell, and people like to see duels, really good duels. So uh, I, I, I have strong belief that, you know, Monday Night Football is going to be on the up and up. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. Thanks, Alex. We'll go to Jeff uh, in Denver, followed by Josh Katzenstein in, at uh, NOLA.com. Uh, thanks, everybody, for taking the time. I, uh, I have a question for John on the Bronco quarterbacks. Uh, first, what do you think the difficulty level was, John, in Trevor Simeon winning the job with two different coaching staffs and two different playbooks? And second, I, I remember when you had Paxton Lynch in before the draft, that year and, and sat down with them. Where does his development have to go from here? And thank you. Well, his development right now is, is unfortunately derailed with the injury and, and 
you know, that's 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 a concern because uh, young quarterbacks need all the snaps they can get. You know, you got to remember too that Simeon's a young guy. Uh, I think it's really hard. It was hard on Kubiak. I'm sure it's hard on the current staff in Denver as well to make it fair, to not only make it fair, but to try to do what each quarterback does best. I think when Lynch is in there, I think you probably cater your schemes a little bit differently because of his athletic ability, his running style. Uh, you can probably do a different type of uh, running game with him uh, from the shotgun. Simeon is a steady uh, drop-back quarterback. And, uh, man, am I impressed with him. What he did his first year as a starter, taking over for Peyton Manning, uh, there's a lot to like in Simeon. He is a steady, no-nonsense guy that has a good feel for the pocket. He knows how to get the ball to these marquee receivers. And um, I, I think they probably made it as fair as they could. Uh, they're in an interesting situation because they're trying to split, split the reps between two young quarterbacks that need all they can get. But I don't think it's over. I think Lynch will stay on the gas pedal and, and, and be a player in this league, whether it's in Denver or someplace else. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll go to Josh in New Orleans, followed by Dave Burkett at the Detroit Free Press. Hey, John, just uh, wondering – Obviously not apples to apples here, but how do you think, if at all, the Matthew Stafford contract could impact Drew Brees? And then if you could also take me back to the Saints-Vikings game, just wondering, you know, what do you think of that matchup with the Saints offense against the Vikings defense? You know, I have no idea how this contract will affect Drew. Um, I just can't imagine Drew not playing for the Saints. I just have a strong feeling that the market – uh, Stafford's contract will, will certainly help resolve a lot of situations, but Drew is at a different stage of his career than Matthew is. That's the common, I mean, that's, that's the true hard, hard facts. Uh, he's not going to get the salary he would get, I think, if he was 29 or 33. He's, he's later in his career. I, I hope he can resolve it and get, get the, get the contract or, organized for, for Saints. Uh, but, uh, anyhow, with, with this matchup coming up, it'll be a fun one. Uh, Loud, it'll be difficult on the, the Saints offense in the noise. They, they perhaps will be starting a rookie left tackle, uh, a third string center. I think Laribus was the guy I saw playing in the preseason. Uh, the noise in that dome or in that Minnesota stadium will be rocking and uh, it'll be a factor because Breeze does a lot at the line of scrimmage. However, uh, I, I think it's going to be a, an interesting game because there's the unknown of the Saints' defense. Are they the Saints' defense of the preseason or are they the Saints' defense of last season? I can't wait to find that out. And I'm anxious to see the, the new weapons uh, of the New Orleans Saints. The fans get to see Michael Thomas. A lot of people don't know he had a 1,000 yards receiving as a rookie. A lot of people don't know Willie Sneed almost had a 1,000 yards. And people probably already forgot that Ted Ginn signed up to play uh, in New Orleans. And who is Tommy Lee Lewis? Who is this guy? Uh, he looked good in the preseason. So uh, a lot of unknowns on the Saints, on the offense, on the defense. The only consistent thing I can tell you is Sean Payton and Drew Brees, they'll be there and they'll make it entertaining and fun to watch. Okay, we'll go to Dave in Detroit, followed by uh, Joe Fan, San Francisco. Go ahead, Dave. Hey, John. Uh, you know, I apologize if you've addressed this already, but I would like to get your thoughts on Stafford being the highest-paid player in the NFL, that, that deal that he signed. And then just beyond that, 
what sort of pressures come with that for a player in that position, and how do you think he'll be able to navigate that? Yeah, you know what? It's it's a surprise. Uh, I don't think a lot of people would say, "Well, Matt Stafford is the highest or the highest paid player in the league." That, that's a surprise to a lot of people. However, uh, somebody has to be. And the way these contracts work nowadays, it's it's all about supply and demand. If you're the Lions, you're backed into a corner. Uh, are you going to pay him uh, his demands, or are you going to go with uh, Rudock, or are you going to go with the rookie from Miami? You going to go with Kaya? Uh, the Lions have come too far down the road, I think, as a football team. I've seen them go 0-16. They push this thing all the way to the playoffs, and they have a very good quarterback. This guy is money when the game is on the line. And uh, he's, he's overcome the loss of Calvin Johnson. Can he overcome the loss of their starting left tackle? We'll have to see. But they have a chance every week because of Stafford. He puts them, I think, on the brink of winning every single week. Um so I commend them for getting the deal done. It is eye-popping and staggering, uh, but good for Matt Stafford. He's one of the good guys. What about the pressures that come with that? I mean, is he, uh, you know. Yeah, you know, pressure is, uh, he's going to feel the pressure anyways. Whether, look, whether you're making a uh, million dollars or $28 million. Personally, I like having pressure on me if I'm making $28 million. That would ease the pressure if you ask me. $92 million has a way of easing the pressure. You know what I mean? <laughs> No, okay. I appreciate it, John. Thank you. you bet. Okay, we'll go to Joe in San Francisco, followed by Matthew Fairburn at Syracuse.com. Joe, go ahead. No. Nope. Joe? Sir, your line may be on mute. Joe, did you have a question? Okay, no problem. Uh, we'll We'll move on to Matthew Fairburn at Syracuse. Then Patrick Finley at the Chicago Sun-Times. Hey, John. Uh, I was curious. I know you had a chance to sit down with Nathan Peterman in the spring. Curious what you've seen from him in the preseason and if you think maybe, you know, he might be a better fit in this West Coast offense than Tyrod Taylor's. You know, the cool thing about the Gruden QB camp show that we have is I get a chance to spend a whole day, sometimes two days with these guys. And, you know, we had almost 60 shows, I think, in, in the last several years. And, and to make a long story short, I really felt that Nate Peterman was very similar to Andy Dalton coming out of TCU. Similar size, um, similar personalities, athletic guys that can throw the ball, team guys, leaders. There's a lot of intangibles I see in Peterman that I felt Dalton had. And when I watch the tape in the preseason, I see a young Andy Dalton. He's he's making accurate throws. He has anticipation and touch. He can handle a lot of offense. He played at two colleges. We said that during the show. This man knows the game. He loves the game. And it shows in the way that he performs. So uh, I don't know what offense uh, they're running in Buffalo. I don't know what the West Coast is anymore. But whatever offense you want to run, Peterman can run it. He's athletic. He can run the read option, and um, he can handle a lot of football. He's a mature young man, and I think he's going to be a starter in the NFL, whether it's in Buffalo or, or someplace in the next year or so. Thanks, John. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got time for two last quick questions. We'll go to Patrick Finley at the Chicago Sun-Times, followed by Bob Groats at the Daily Times. Go ahead, Patrick. Hey, John, I'm curious what you thought of Mitch Trubisky's uh, preseason. Uh, his numbers have been pretty good. And secondarily, 
they're going to run him out to start in the fourth preseason game tomorrow. Is there any can, is there any benefit just of having the guy go through the process of okay, I'm going to be the starter, I'm going to prepare as one, even for a game that's not very meaningful? Absolutely, I love what John Fox and Dow Loggins are doing with Trubisky. I think this is a great idea. Let him play the whole game. Let him play the whole game. Put something on his plate. Give him a game plan to sink his teeth into. Let him go out there and play. He only had the one year at North Carolina. This experience is huge for him. He he proved a lot of great stuff in the preseason. I mean, he made some good throws. He can scramble. He's tough. I saw him handle some audibles. He put points on the board. There's a lot to be excited about in Chicago, but uh, I do like the idea of giving him the whole game and letting him continue to develop and gain experience. This is where you get it. It's worth the injury risk? Well, you know what? I mean, there's, there's we're, we're going to call off all the practices pretty soon. We, we might as well, we might as well <laughs> call off, we might as well call off everything. I mean, uh, look, these guys got to practice. They got to play. They got to go out and develop. And, and, and otherwise, you can't, you can't get a feel for the position. This is, uh, you can only have so many walkthroughs. I go and I watch these training camp practices, and I, I feel bad for some of these young linemen, young quarterbacks that are, that are walking through routes and talking through plays. Uh, th- this man needs to go out there and play, and you got to live in your hopes, not in your fears. Good for Chicago. Thank you. Our, uh, our last question will be Bob Groth of the Daily Times. Go ahead, Bob. Hey, John. Hey, guys. Uh, hey, John, uh, the, the quarterback question, Carson Wentz, with the Eagles, you obviously you've coached in Philadelphia. You know the landscape there. Is there any job more difficult than uh, living up to that to that expectation and and doing that? You know, the second year in the league. Is there anything tougher than that? And and how does how does a guy like Doug Peterson try to balance all that, all the pressure? You know, it's tough. It's tough in Philadelphia, certainly. But I, I think you got to. You got to look at it realistically. There, there's also a lot to be excited about Philadelphia. You could be the first guy to do it. Uh, you could be the first man to bring the Lombardi home uh, to, to Philadelphia. That's something to be excited about. He's got a huge support system there. I think the fans love him. The organization loves him. They've added some receivers to help him. I think the defense is pretty good. They added a big back to help him in some short yardage and goal line situations and. They help him close out games late. Uh, there's pressure, but you know, knowing Carson Wentz, he's not feeling the pressure. I think he's he's going to be one of the guys that applies it. Uh, and he has really worked hard on quickening his delivery. I know he's worked with a passing specialist in the off season, and Doug Peterson has this job for for one huge reason. He he understands the quarterback position and how to put him in a position of success. So I, I think this is going to be a fun year for Philadelphia. Thanks, John. With that, I apologize to the handful of media who did not get to ask a question on the call. We had a limited amount of time here, but thanks to everyone for joining. Uh, Special thanks to Jay, Sean, John, and Lisa. Uh, Again, they will be on the call in Minnesota on September 11th as we kick off the 48th season of Monday Night Football. Again, there will be a full audio replay and a transcript available for this call. Thanks again for participating, everyone.